So let us feast upon the word of God. If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua, the 21st chapter. We're going to be looking at a brief passage of scripture that actually describes a whole lot. We have been working our way through the book of Joshua, and we're coming to the end of the series, Fueled by Faith. How Israel's faith was fueled by the promises of God. How they were able to do so much by just being faithful. In these chapters, chapters 13 through 21 is actually a whole unit comprised of the distribution of the land. And here in the 21st chapter, verses 43 and 45 is a summation of of chapters 13 through 21. So we have a lot of ground to cover this morning, so let's dig into God's word. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. Thus, the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. The Lord, a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'd like to entitle this text before us this morning, Living on the Promises of God. Living on the Promises of God. Let us go before our Lord, in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we need your help. For the various issues of life have beat us up this week. And Father, we have just showed up to hear a word from on high to soothe these wounds, to strengthen and encourage us for another week, to grant us the grace that we would remain faithful in our walk with you, and that the onlooking world would see Jesus through our lives. So, Father, as we come, we we just say, Help us this morning. Help us, O Lord, by giving us eyes to see. Help us this morning, O Lord, by giving us ears to hear. Help us by preparing our hearts to receive your word, that we would receive your word with joy and great expectation, that your word would cut us in the right places in order that we would cast aside all that hinders us from living in a right relationship with you, dear God. Father, help us by having mercy upon us. 
for we are not worthy to stand in your presence. But we're so grateful for the amazing grace that we have in Christ Jesus. So, Father, by the power of your amazing grace and your infinite mercy, through your Holy Spirit, may you speak to us this morning and may we listen. Use me, O God, for your purposes. For this moment right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that you would destroy all distractions, strongholds, and yokes that hinder us from enjoying you. From taking our feel of you this morning, dear God. These things we ask in the precious name of Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but one of the most nerve-wracking parts of air travel for me is it's not the taking off, it's not the landing, but one of the most nerve-wracking parts of air travel for me is checking your luggage. Now, full disclosure, I have not personally experienced any problems checking my luggage, claiming my luggage, but I have heard horrible stories of some others' experiences. And if you happen to work for the airline, this in no way describes you at all. I'm sure you do a marvelous job each and every day. If anything, this is my fears that are completely based on frivolous hearsay and are unfounded. But yet, I have heard of people's luggage being combed through, and, and at times things have went missing. I have heard of luggage not being there upon one's arrival, sometimes luggage going to the wrong city. You're in Texas, and your, your luggage is in California. I have heard of these things. And during my air travels, there is always this nagging thought that when we arrive, when we touch down, that my luggage will not be there. And it just sticks in the back of my mind. I'm thinking, well, well what if our luggage is not there? But like I said, though, this has not been an issue for Red or I as of yet. See, but think with me for a moment how much time I've wasted with unnecessary worry. Instead of fully enjoying the sensational amenities of the airlines, rather than savoring those precious moments in that shared fuselage, I, I hang on for the ride, eagerly waiting for our landing so I can run to the, ba the baggage carousel and to see with my own eyes if my, my luggage made it. See, is that just me? But you know what, for, for, for many of us this morning, our approach to following Jesus is just like my air travel experience. Instead of confidently taking God at his word, and enjoying the journey, I live an anxious life, awaiting the moment when I can see if God's promises actually came into being. 
See, but that's not the abundant life that Jesus said he has come to bring us, is it? Instead of living on the promises of God, you, you merely have heard about the promises of God. See, we may know the promises of God, but are we living on the promises of God? Have the promises of God affected and transformed your life in such a way that things have shifted and changed, not because the situation is different, but because you just believe God? So what happens? So when, when people look at your, your Christian walk, Though they have not experienced any difficulty or particular hardships, your testimony causes them to worry and to have anxiety. We must understand that as followers of Jesus, we don't just look at the promises of God, we live on the promises of God. Christians are to live in a way that, that sees the, the material prize that the promises of God are. See, because all the promises of God come to pass, you can take possession of the tangible realities that God's promises produce and live. God's promises, they actually produce a tangible reality and that which you can take physical possession of, and live. We don't have to just say, well, I heard God can do this, and I, and I heard he can do that. God, his promises are so sure that you can, can take them and lay hold of them physically with your hands. Living on the promises of God. See, in the text before us this morning should help us to see that God's promises are much more than just words. See, in and of themselves, the promises of God, they create realities upon which his children live. This has been the experience of, uh, of the Israelites throughout their entire journey out of bondage. They have been living upon the very promises of God every step of the way. Their faith has been fueled by the promises of God, resulting in tangible physical, material benefits. They have, uh, they have received real silver. They have received real gold. They have received real homes. They will receive real, a real land and real rest. This is not a theory. This is not a figment of their imagination because they have chosen to be faithful to God and to believe him over the situation. They will receive a land and rest. A place to hang their coats. See, in chapters 13 through 21, we have proof that God fulfills his promises. He is consummating his covenant with Abraham in chapters 13 through 21. In chapters 13 and 21, we see a shift from Gilgal being the, the military base to Shiloh, which is the religious center of Israel at this time. What does that mean? They are shifting gears from war to rest. Israel now will receive their allotted portions of land. They're receiving their deeds to their homes. Man, what is it like to purchase a home 
It's not really real until you get that deed in your hand, right? They're receiving their deeds to the land. So acting on behalf of God, Joshua and Eleazar, they distribute the land. And this is a religious exercise. So what they have, if you could put that map up, each tribe received a certain portion of the land. And as they've been going through the land, a couple of them called out, like, well, I got that. I got first. And, I, and they've been calling out, but God gives everyone their share. Reuben receives a share. Gad receives a share. Manasseh is broken off into east and west Manasseh. They receive their share. Even Caleb receives his share as part of Judah. The daughters of Zelophad, they receive their share. Benjamin, Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, Dan, Joshua receives his share. Levi received their share. Y'all like, well, that's more than 12. What's, what's, what's up with that? As God is giving his allotment, he, he, he is giving the land. What happens, two things happen. One, the tribe of Levi, the descendants of Aaron, God has called them to himself to be priests. And specifically, the text says that their inheritance will not be land, but they will have, they will have the benefits of the tithes and offerings, the food that comes in, the money that comes in to take care of the temple, they will be beneficiaries of that. That is part of their inheritance. God says that he himself will be a part of their inheritance. But then also within the, the cities that these nations, that these, uh, these tribes inhabit, they will have some cities just for themselves. Well, why would Levi have, them, have these cities? They they will have these cities because as priests, they are to go out and to teach the law of God. They are to be in the midst of the people teaching God's word so that the next generation would know. So because Levi receives an inheritance of God, that, that leaves a, 11 left. But then Joseph, the tribe of Joseph, is actually split into two, Ephraim and Manasseh. Joseph specifically does not receive a portion but remember, Abraham blessed his sons, and he said, Ephraim and Manasseh, they will receive. So this is the allotment. His sons received two, those two separate shares. So when we think about the land, and we see how it's laid out, every single tribe that God had promised would get some land has land. In chapters 13 through 21, we see that cities of refuge are set up. And a city of refuge will be the place where someone who accidentally kills someone can run to for safety before they had their day in court. A, a place where they can run, run and, and, and be safe from that person's relatives so they, not, they would not be executed. And we see the cities allotted to Levi. But see what's going on here. Israel will actually and physically live on the promises of God. They had done it in the past. They lived on the manna that God would rain down each and every morning. How were they living? They were living on God's promise that I will always 
provide for you. I will always keep you. They didn't know where the food would come from, but they knew that God had promised to care for them while they're in the wilderness. And for somebody here today, you may feel like you're in the wilderness. You don't know where the next meal is coming. You don't know where help is coming from. But God says if you are his child, he will take care of you. So this morning... Let us explore living on the promises of God, and I want to do it from two perspectives. The first perspective is God's promises produce. They do something. They create something. But then also, not only does God's promises produce something, but God's promises possess, taken in, laid hold of, claimed. So in verses 43 through 45, here in the 21st chapter of Joshua. This is a very significant portion of scripture. This is the theological heart of this entire book, that God can be trusted. He's not a man that he should lie. What he said he will do, he has done right here. In verse 43, this this is a summary of chapters 13 through 21. What is it? Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land, So 13 through 21, the distribution of the land. Verse 44, this is a summary of chapters 1 through 12. Because it talks about, and he gave rest to them on every side, just as his fathers, just as he had sworn to their fathers. So they received rest. And verse 45 is a summary of the whole narrative. God kept his promises. Notice three times it's, it's emphasized that God's promises have come true. Once it's like, yeah, that's important. Twice it's like, okay, they're going somewhere with this. But whenever you're reading the word of God and you see something uh, spoken of three times, it's important. It's three times in this text that God is, is emphasized as being faithful. And the text concludes with not one word failed, but all came to pass. What came to pass? One was the promise that God made, not one, but the, the specific promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He, he called Abraham to himself and he said, I will give you a land and I will give you descendants. This is on the heels of Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel. First, you, uh, in Genesis 11, you have chaos You have man out of control trying to live their own way, trying to do their own thing, and now God separates them and splits them up. But yet, in in Genesis 12, right on the heels of that, God says, but I have an answer. And it's going to happen through Abraham. And I'm going to give you a land, and I'm going to put a people in this land, and the people in this land will be a priest. They will be an example, a witness of my fame and my glory, and all the nations will be blessed because of what I've done through Abraham. This is the promise that is coming true. God has made good on his promise to do what? To make something out of nothing. Abraham, let me, Abraham, let me talk to you for a minute, Abraham. 
Abraham, I know you're pretty old, and, and I know you're kind of stuck in this land, but this is what I'm going to do for you, Abraham. I'm going to take you out of this land. You're no longer going to worship these false gods. You're going to worship me. I'm going to take you somewhere uh, to a land that's flowing with milk and honey. You think you got it good? Now, just wait to where I take you. You don't have no children, but yet your descendants will be as many as the sands on the seashore, and I'm going to do something amazing through you that, that when I work through you and such a way that everyone else will look on and say, there must be a God. And what is Abraham doing? He's just listening. Why? Because it hasn't happened yet. But beloved, when God makes a promise, he is creating new realities. And this is the culmination that God does have a land. And he does have a people. And he does have a nation that will be a witness to those in the land about his goodness. His fame will be put on display. In the text, there is this theme of inheritance. When someone is passing along something to their heirs. So for Israel, this this tangible reality of of where they are, it finds itself... In the past, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they they can look back on the past promises of God and and what he did yesterday, what he did the time before, and how he's kept them all along the way so they can look back. But then God's promises have a, a present aspect because no more are they enslaved, no more are they wandering, no more are they in need for anything Every tribe has received its duly uh, appointed portion. Uh, Matter of fact, every tribe receives a custom-made blessing from God. Uh, Zebulun's blessing is different from Issachar's. And Gad's blessing is different from Dan's. God knows exactly what they need and how they need it. So this is not even a general promise, but God is giving specific promises to this people. But this promise has a future reality because this nation would be a kingdom of priests making the name of God known. God's promise has created land and God's promise has created rest. What does that have to do with us? Consider, consider the tangible realities that God has created for us. Just think about this past week. How has God kept you this past week? Those are tangible realities of his promise that I will not leave you nor forsake you. When you're you're cutting that steak, eating that Big Mac, no matter what you're doing, that is a tangible reality that God says that I'm for you and not against you. You can touch God's promises with your hands. See it with your eyes. Walk on them. Lay on them. Well, what about the fact that he he has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light? That's a tangible reality. You ain't what you used to be. Had not God's promise had the power to create a new reality, you would just be the same person you used to be. And you know how you used to be. We have any used to be? See, I used to be. But now I am. 
because of his power. 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about the new creation that God has created us to be. Colossians 3 talks about our lives are hidden with Christ. Before your life was hidden with Satan, but now your life is hidden with Christ. That's complete opposite. When I think about the realities that God promises are able to make, I'm tempted to think about those 3D printers. Have y'all seen these 3D printers? So, So instead of going to a computer and typing up something and hitting print and it comes out on a sheet of paper, a 3D printer actually creates the object that's in the computer. So if you create like a, a mask with a smiley face, it doesn't come out on your printer on a flat piece of paper, but the image goes into a machine and then the machine begins the process of, of taking clay and taking material and crafting the actual mask that was just in your computer. That thing's sweet. I need one for Christmas. When God says he is doing something for you and has promised you that he is going to give it to you, it is as if God is using a 3D printer. He he pressed print and it is beginning to be crafted and and to the point where you will be able to pick it up and it's not two-dimensional, it's three-dimensional. It has all the aspects that God has determined you would need. So when I think about how God is working, do you realize that God's promises operate in 3D? God's promises operate in 3D. Think about this. In Ephesians 1, beginning with verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's the object. God says, for his people, I'm going, to, I'm going to give them every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That's twofold. One, the blessings are spiritual. They're, they're not of this world. They're spiritual in the fact that uh, these blessings flow in the realm uh, 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 that's beyond our sight. There's something bigger than we could ever imagine that is working through the Holy Spirit. These spiritual blessings. And then he goes on to say spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Well, what does that mean to us? That the blessings that God is giving to us are limitless. They're not constrained to this place. But what is the blessings? Verse 4. Even as he chose us in him. He is, even as he chose us in him. That's part of the blessing. That's part of what he's doing. So what God is saying, that my blessings operate in 3D, and part of that is a determined past. A determined past. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. God is talking about before you was even born, he had a plan and a promise just for you. You know how they say, before you was a twinkle in your daddy's eye. God already was working it out to set you up to be blessed with spiritual blessings in a determined past. But not only is it a determined past, he has a definite present. 
What does that mean? In verse 5, in the verse 4, in love, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. What is he saying? That God is taking people who weren't his children and making them part of the family. You were an orphan on the side of the road. You cannot even feed yourself, change your diaper. But God says, even though they can't do anything for me, I want them. And I want you. And I'm going to graft you into my family. I'm going to give you divine lineage. I'm going to make you an heir of all things in Christ Jesus. He predestined us for adoption as sons according to the purpose of his will. But watch this, verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the blood. Do you know part of your spiritual blessing is the fact that God gives you grace? I don't know about you, but I need a lot of grace. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. God gives me his riches instead of, of, of what I have in my own strength. His grace covers me. His grace keeps me. His grace keeps me going. God is presently working things out to give you grace. He goes on, verse 7. In him, we have redemption from our sins. Wait, redemption? God, you mean the blood of Jesus has bought me back? That, that I was enslaved to sin, that I belonged to the enemy, and, 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 he, and, he, and he bought me back. He, 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 he called me and, and drew me and took off the shackles and took off the chains. I no longer have chains around my ankles, uh, and I'm a slave to sin. He has redeemed me. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. We have forgiveness of sin. You don't have to walk with that guilt. You don't have to walk with that shame. You don't have to, you don't have to walk thinking about uh, how you used to be and who will find out. Because the forgiveness of sin takes away, if it, you are forgiven of the sin. There's a determined past, there's a definite present, but then also there's a distant future. Because in, in verse 9 he says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ. Verse 10, as a plan, what? For the fullness of your time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. What is he saying? That God is working things out in this life from future past, that in glory you will be united with Jesus. You will walk like him. You're going to talk like him. You're going to look like him. You won't have those aches. You won't have those bunions. You won't have none of that pain. But God is going to make you one with himself. These are the spiritual blessings that we receive in Christ Jesus. Full union, full reconciliation, glorification. What tremendous blessings we have in Christ. He goes on in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his will. Verse 12, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ may be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Why? Who is the guarantee of your inheritance until you get to glory? What is he saying? He's saying this future glory is sealed by the fact that the Holy Spirit is living inside of you and keeping you and preserving you until that day you see Jesus face to face. What, what a greater blessing is there to know for certain that you belong to Jesus. And notice what this promise creates. In the text he said, and God gave them land, and God gave them rest. So not only is, the, is my identity transformed, but, but my physical reality. In giving them land, he's creating space when it comes to us. And I think about land. God wants to give you a settled disposition. He wants you to stop worrying all the time. He wants you to stop being so torn. A place where you can reside, a place where you can lay your head and not worry about nightmares. He wants to, he wants to lay you down. But he, he wants to give you rest. And this rest here is not a rest that, well, I, I'm off work, so I'm just going to sleep all day. No, This is a rest from war. Victory over your foe. What does that mean? That means that when we we say at the end of service that we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, he really means that we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That sin no longer has a stronghold over us. We can break free and we cannot live for his glory and we have rest. I don't have all this confusion and chaos swirling around me. I just have Jesus. He has become my portion. Everything we could ever need to live, God has already given. God's promises produce. See, don't miss what God has done already because you're looking for more. See, that's us. We, we frustrated and we anxious. Why? Because we've taken our eyes off of what God has already done. If God has taken care of, of my spiritual condition uh, over everything else, then I should, be, uh, I should be fine. I should have joy because God has taken care of me. You know, when my, when my inner Eeyore jumps out and I become pessimistic and I become gloomy, and I become depressed. I just take a moment to reflect back on the custom-made promises that God has given me. Custom-made promises. What what custom-made, tangible realities has God provided for you? What physical needs has God met for you over the years? Has there been a time where you didn't have food on the table? Has there been a time when you didn't have a ride to work? Is it, has there been a time when you've been out of a job, but yet God showed up and met every one of your needs exactly when you needed it, the way you needed it, not how I needed it, but the way you needed it? Not only physically, but spiritually. What has God been doing in your life, in your heart, just for you, just for you? What trials has he been taking you through to make you stronger? These are custom-made trials because 
Because your issues ain't my issues, and my issues ain't your issues. And, and God has a special, customized plan for your life that he is working out in order to get glory from your life. You can live on the promises of God because our inheritance has already provided everything we needed. But then secondly, God's promises possess. Because in this passage, we not only see God give his people an inheritance, but we see his people take possession of this inheritance, don't we? This is a theme of, not inheritance, this is a theme of ownership. See, Israel, they, they claim their inheritance. The text says they settled there. They put down their bags. They put down their donkeys. They, they set up residence in the land. They received specific allotments based upon their size. And all along the way, we see God's power and providence on display. We see God's power. God gave. God gave. It is God who is the source of what they receive. But then we also see them casting lots. And what was casting lots? It was just a way to try to make decisions. See, but Proverbs 16, says, the lot, the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. So as they are casting lots for the land, God is providentially orchestrating who gets what. He's working. He's working. But one thing that we wouldn't notice is the, the type of language that's used all throughout Joshua. In order for them to possess this inheritance, they have to take the inheritance, they have to reach out and get the inheritance, but the language also has a nuance in that not only are they possessing the land, they are dispossessing those who are on the land already. So not only do they take the land, take their inheritance, but they get rid of those things that would uh, prohibit them from entering the land. Why are they doing this? For God's glory. God's glory would come from the fact that a nation of priests are now in the land giving blessings to everyone else. What does that mean for us? Why should we even care? We should care because we do have an inheritance to claim. Do do you know what your inheritance is to claim? See, prosperity preachers have given that word claim a bad name. See, because prosperity preachers, they preach, a, they preach a gospel that never talks about sin. You've never done anything wrong. It's always about being a better you. It's not being a better servant to the Lord. They're always talking about everything that God owes you or that you can speak and God will give it to you. See, a prosperity preacher is trying to create a new reality. Whereas, biblically, uh, to claim something, I mean, I'm not trying to create a new reality. I'm just trying to walk into one that God has already given. I'm just stepping out on where God has said to step. But, But some of us here today are prosperity preachers over our own lives, aren't we? We tell ourselves all the time, well, if I just work hard enough, well, if I just get in the right school, if I get the right job, then my situation is going to turn around. See, but what if your situation don't turn around? Who's going to be to blame? Because sometimes it doesn't. But God is still good. He's still good. 
The thing that gets people caught up with prosperity preachers is because all heresy comes from some form of truth. And the truth is that God does have an inheritance for his people to claim. Colossians 1, 12 through 14. It says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, watch this, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's a reality for the heirs. Acts 26, 16 through 18. He says, but rise and stand upon your feet for I have appeared to you for the purpose to appoint you as a servant. He's talking to Paul. Jesus is speaking to, to Saul at that time. To appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. He, he, he's going to declare what Jesus has done in his life, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to do what? To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and watch this, a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Then 1 Peter 1, beginning with verse 3. Similar language. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's what? Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Beloved, God has an inheritance for his people that he wants us to claim. Take possession of these promises that God has given. Stake your claim in what God has already spoken. See, though something may have been purchased, it does not become a gift for you until after it's received. You get that? Though God may have this inheritance for you, it's not a gift until you open up your hands and you take it. But we may need to first dispossess some things before we can take possession of God's inheritance. What does that mean? That means that we need to get rid of some things that are causing us not to be able to pick up the blessings of God. We need to put down some sin in order to pick up some righteousness. We need to put down what we want to do and pick up this mind of Christ. We need to put down uh, going off on everyone because we're not getting our way. And we need to pick up gentleness and love and self-control. God wants us to, to receive these inheritances that he has for us based upon his promises. But we got to let some stuff go, y'all. We, li we live in as double-agent Christians. Like on Sunday, I'm one way, and the rest of the week, I'm not. And they don't know who I am at work, but they know, I'm, they know I'm with them, though. But on Sunday, it's a little bit different. God says, no, if you want to be a part of my family and receive my blessings, then you got to dispossess some of that stuff from the land. He's calling us to holiness. This is multiplication by subtraction. 
God wants to double. You, see, that reminds me, I heard a long time ago, I don't know if it's true or not, but it was just a good story. And it was talking about the way to catch, the way to catch uh, like a monkey in the wild is to like put a small hole, but to put something in the bottom of the hole that they want to grab. And they'll put their hand in the hole, and they'll grab the object. And then when it's time to go, they'll try to yank their hand out. But because they made a fist, they can't, let, they can't get out. They can't get free. They stuck. And they'll stay stuck because they're not going to let go what's in their hand. And some of y'all are stuck. God wants to get you free. God wants you to get out of that sin. God wants you to let it go. But in order to get free, guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to let it go. You're going to have to let go of some of that TV. You're going to have to let go of some of this phone. You're going to have to let go of some of those relationships. You're going to have to let go of some of that drama, some of that gossip, some of that backbiting. God wants to bless you. But you're so busy balling your fist up over pennies, you can't pick up the dollars he has over here. God will use all types of situations and circumstances to prune you, to cut away this stuff. Why? Because he wants to hurt you? No, because he wants to multiply you. He wants to see your spiritual growth double and triple. You can live on the promises of God because they are gifts to be received and owned. Quickly, last thing. How do we do this? How do we live on the promises of God. But the first thing, we need to know God's word. I can't know I got a promise if I don't know I got a promise. You know, did you know that God promised not to tempt you beyond what you can bear? Did you know that was a promise? You in that situation, you're like, oh, Lord, how did I get here? He said, not only will he not tempt you more than you can bear, he'll provide a way out. You you wonder why you just got that text right when the arm go over your shoulder? He's providing a way out. Did you know that God promised that your labor would not be in vain? He promised that. That your work for him is not going to be in vain. It may look like don't nobody care. It may look like don't nobody appreciate all you do. But God is in heaven looking down upon his faithful people. And he's saying, yeah, keep it up. I got something for you. Did you know that God promised that you would be able to stand against Satan himself? When you have closed yourself in his word, when you have put on the the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, that shield of faith, those gospel shoes, when, when, when you have dressed yourself for war, he says, therefore doing all that you can do to stand. What's the next word? Stand, therefore. He promised you that. You keep falling into the same sin over and over and over. And God says, I promise you, you don't have to do it again. I promise you, clothe yourself. This is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 4, 4, right? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but on what? Every word that proceeds from the father's mouth. What is he saying? See, bread may last you a day, but the promises of God will be with you forever. 
See, we're so worried about the instant gratification that we forget that God's got something better that will sustain us. Remember, he's living water. So what do we need to do? We need to hear the word of God preached. So during your summer, don't waste your summer. Stay connected to church. Come worship. Read your word. Read your word. Read your Bible. If you want, join, join me and the students. We're doing a reading plan. We're going through the book of James. It's five chapters. They can do it two ways. It's five chapters. They can read one chapter each day, and then they got two extra days. They got two free days, right? Or they can read all five chapters every day. It doesn't matter to me. I just want you to read your word. Why? So they know what God has for them. Study, meditate, pray. Secondly, know what promises are for you. It's all about context. Because sometimes we want to claim a promise that's really not ours to claim. See, God doesn't work in a buffet mode where we can just open the Bible and and say, I I want that and I want that and I want that. No, it's, it's context, context, context. It depends on what he's talking about, who he's talking to, now who it's for. An example, Romans 4, 17, it says, and it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, talking about Abraham, in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, okay? It is commonly quoted that you can just speak things into existence and God will bless you. See, but it's all about context. Is he talking about Abraham? Is he talking about you? No, he's talking about God. God has the power to give life, and God has the power to speak things into existence. So instead of running around trying to name and claim it, we need to get on our knees and pray it in order for God to bless us and understand that we are to walk where he has called us to walk and claim what he has called us to claim. Because every promise of God is not for you. We walk by faith, but finally we run to Jesus. Why do we run to Jesus? Because scripture tells us that all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ. See, living on the promises of God is a walk of faith, but God gives you the fuel to do it. He gives you the fuel. See, living on a reality created by God and not yourself. This is why grace is so beautiful. I don't have to work my way into heaven. I'll never be good enough to get into heaven. My best day is still as filthy trash. My, my, my best uh, behavior is still not good enough to get me into heaven. My, uh, my sin, just one sin, will cast me out from uh, fellowship with God forevermore into hell where sinners go. But yet, Jesus has created a new reality. And that reality is that for those who repent of their sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ, they are transformed from darkness to light. They have a a new father. They have a new home. And they have a new life. For those who trust in Jesus, they have a new reality. Because when Jesus rose from the grave, he created a new reality. And this reality is that those who walk with him Death would no longer have power over. 
sin will no longer have power over. And we will spend an eternity with him in glory. And right now, right now, he is sitting on the right hand side of the Father. He's praying for you right now. Begin living on the promises of God. Stop Stop looking at them. He's called you to take them. God's promises produce, and God's promises are to be possessed. Followers of Jesus live on the promises of God. Don't just look at the promises, stand on the promises. Don't just stand on the promises, live on the promises. And that promise is Jesus. Text tells us, for in him we live and move and have our being. That sounds like I live on Jesus, don't it? In him I live and move. And have, so, so my whole experience is because I'm living on the promise of Christ. It all comes down to whether you believe God or not. That's what it comes down to. Do you believe him? Do you believe what, he, what he's done? Do you believe what he said? God is good. For those in Christ, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have a new identity. You are a new creation. Sin no longer rules and reigns over you. You can be victorious because of Christ. You can do all things in Christ because it is he who is strengthening you. You can walk victorious with your head held high without shame and guilt because the text promises that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. Don't be afraid to claim the promises of God because God's glory is at stake. He wants to show himself off through you. Take him at his word. Enjoy the journey. Living on the promises of God. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your promises. I beg you that you will open up the eyes of our hearts, that we would know and understand the depth of your love, and just whom we have in Christ. For in you, Lord, you have already given us everything we need to live. So help us just to live. To no longer walk defeated. To no longer walk with our heads hung low. To no longer think that this world has its victory because you have promised that we are more than conquerors in Christ. And it's not for our glory, but you are conquering this world through your people for your glory. Father, make us a nation of priests, blessing others as they come in contact with us. In Jesus' precious and holy name, we do pray. Amen.